How great is the uh, Soviet threat of, of subversion? I think it's very great. That's what I'm going to talk about today at the Foreign Policy uh, Luncheon in a few minutes. Well, what can be done about it? What can be done to meet that well, threat? Well, uh, that is, is what I'm going to, I'm going to tell. Uh, first place, uh, we're spending now hundreds of billions of dollars, or have been over the last 10 years, spent hundreds of billions of dollars on the military side. I believe the Soviet realizes now we're far superior on the military side. Therefore, what they're going to do and are doing uh, is to revert to the subversive attack on us, uh, where we're less well prepared, to which we give far less attention, not nearly enough attention. We've got to organize our government far more effectively to deal with this subversive threat than it's organized today. Who wants to go ice fishing with me? Fucking exhilarating sport to do in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. The best the best part about summer ice fishing is uh, how unlikely you are. That's not winter ice fishing. You're unlikely to succeed, but if you do, I mean, you've really accomplished something. Yeah. You've accomplished a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Oh, man. So, uh, what is up, man? What's going on? Not much, uh, you know, just kind of uh, once again sitting in my sweat chamber, uh, ready to record another another wild, wet and wild episode of Left on Red. <laughs> uh, we're finally, as I said, entering the truth zone. Sure. The Left on Red no spin zone. Fucking yeah. getting into that shit, dude. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the stories you're not supposed to know about your country. Yeah, man. That's and <laughs> and and we have a level 16 uh, X-rated clearance for all yeah. of this shit. So, uh, yeah. anything that you hear from us, you can absolutely uh, quote and 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 cite uh, if you're an academic uh, or yeah. you're uh, bringing bringing forth any sort of lawsuit. And you know what? If you are, I may have cited you in this. Hell yeah. Also, we're both completely willing to be subpoenaed as witnesses in any federal hearing on basically anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And you know what? If you're the CIA, we're coming for you, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Sunday at SummerSlam. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to get you. Oh, we are the cream. And the cream rises to the top. The cream of the crop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll tell you now. I'll tell you right now, Mean Gene. The thing about the cream is, oh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, I feel like yes. I had shit that I wanted to talk about, and I got into my my uh, masturbation cube, and it is so <laughs> hot. I have no fucking clue. I I'm like a blank slate. I have okay. nothing well, to say. Well, I 
Uh, I do have a few things, um, some small items to hit, which are actually all kind of related to what we're getting into. So, uh, for our longtime listeners, uh, you may have heard episode 15 about uh, Pedro Castillo and Peru and the 90s dictator backed by the United States Security State Apparatus, Alberto Fujimori. Mm-hmm. Then, in episode 22, you may have heard about Bolivia and the uh, CIA-backed coup that ousted Evo Morales before uh, his party, the, the Moss Party, came back to power. Well, we're going to take it all the way back to the beginning this week, to the early 20th century, to look how the security state apparatus unfolded, the uh, milieu, so to speak, the primordial soup that burped out this, uh, this <laughs> deep state. <laughs> this filthy, but, sweaty... Yeah. Eight and a half ounce cup of garbage. Yeah, that, that the, the veritable acid reflux of Nazis <laughs> and freaks and CIA spooks that birthed this. You know, legend uh, legend has it, okay, that yeah. at the dawn of time, a frost giant <laughs> threw up in his own mouth, <laughs> and the part that he wasn't he... able to swallow became yeah. the CIA. Became Alan Dulles. Alan but... Dulles. Yeah, uh, but before that, uh, let's uh, let's get get to a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Sure. Uh, at this point, I'm gonna request some uh, some air horns to play. Pedro Castillo, officially yeah. declared president of Peru. Hell yeah, wee-oo, man! Wee-oo. Hell yeah, dude! Dude, I I I I can actually provide that live and on okay. air. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Pedro Castillo is. President of Peru. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have this fucking app. What else does it do? It does this. Okay, oh, that's yeah. pretty lame. Oh, this is good though. <laughs> and yeah. I, this is that's probably what the... we say to Kaiko Fujimori. And then there's this, obviously. It's got a Wilhelm scream on it. Nice. And then something called Uncle Nick, which I don't think I've ever used. <laughs> so we're gonna. Yeah. All right, well, you could just okay, do that, that with creepy. your mouth. All right, anyway. Um, uh, it's got also, yeah, uh, yeah, so we also had the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse by uh, Colombian mercenaries. Now, Jovenel Moïse was kind of the CIA's guy, although he was illegitimately present by refusing to step down. And mm-hmm. wouldn't you know it, the Colombian mercenaries, guess where they were trained? Uh, That's right, South Florida. Oh, okay. Well, okay. And, uh, you didn't give me a chance to guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always South Florida. Do you want to know where and, uh, I was going to guess? South Florida? No. What? <laughs> no, I guess it was it was South Florida. <laughs> yeah, it's always South it's Florida. It's always South Florida. Uh, it's always. And uh, over half the mercenaries apparently looks like they had ties to uh, American law enforcement, uh, including the DEA, that they were all various informants and stuff, so... That's the CIA killing the CIA's own. Love that. We also have, um, so unfortunately, Daniel Hadoue, uh, who is a communist and Marxist professor in Chile, he did not win uh, the nomination for the uh, left coalition for the <clears throat> Chilean presidential election. Why, why are we making those sounds into the mic, bud? What's that? <laughs> okay. However, uh, metalhead Gabriel Boric... 
Uh, he did win it. <laughs> That's cool. Which is, yeah, he's uh, pretty infamous for having a massive social media following and being, like, a metalhead and also having worn shirts with, like, dead Pinochet-era politicians on it, so... That fucking uh, rips. Yeah, so him and, uh, he said that he's gonna work with Daniel Hadaway, uh, you know, as they try to, uh, win the presidency in Chile and topple the Pinochet-era economics. Dude, I, I think that, uh, our time is nigh. Okay, as as <laughs> yep. uh, adherence to the one true musical art that yeah. is metal. I the metalheads will rule the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we should. I think that yeah. uh, people that are into metal have all the essential qualities that I would want in a politician. So uh, they love gnarly breakdowns. F- well, okay. So first and foremost, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just a, an appreciation of 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 brutal of all- shit. Yeah, um, of which, all things slamming. Yeah, and, and here's the thing: a lot of politicians pretend they don't like that stuff, when in reality, that's like ninety percent of what you do as president is brutal yeah. ass shit. So, like, usually they're trying to break down the working class. Right. We're trying to break down this fucking pit. Right. They want to. <laughs> <laughs> they want to open up their wallets yeah. and let some of that lobbyist money in. We just want to open up the fucking the floor here. Yeah, okay? dude, yeah. They want to build a wall around Mexico. I just want a yeah. wall of fucking death, all right? They're trying to circle the square. We're trying to circle, once again, push pit. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. They want to blast Palestinian children into dust. I just we want to blast, blast beats. these fucking beats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they want to ensnare people. And I don't fucking know. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll move past it. <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> so we yes. got that going on. And there's also the, uh, I'm going to put this in quotes, the protests in Cuba that are uh, like massively astroturfed on Twitter. One yeah. of my favorites is that I don't, you know, for our listeners that don't know this, Fidel Castro and his movement was called the 26th of July movement. And so there's been like massive pro-government demonstrations with people holding up flags that say, you know, 26 de Julio. And you can see those pictures of those demonstrations. Yeah. And like outlets are saying these massive anti-government demonstrations. It's like, do these people literally have flags? Let's say the 26th of July movement. Well, but here's the thing. It's all about your audience. And if your audience is a bunch of fucking idiot rednecks who don't know even a little bit of Spanish, you can say whatever the fuck you want. You can call those demonstrations whatever the fuck you want. You can say those people are demonstrating against fucking Beanie Babies. I don't know. And and people are just going to be like, oh, my God, and believe it because they don't believe in learning even even a, a, a small... Uh, conversational smattering of Spanish. So yeah, I saw this. Uh, I saw this right wing. I, I think it was they were a congressperson. They had a picture, and I shit you not, it was three anti-government protesters walking down the street, and then the va- and then everybody else in the picture were just normal, and it was just three people, and they're like the the anti-government protests are continuing. SOS Cuba, we need to liberate Cuba. It's like that is three people in Santiago. <laughs> yeah, man, I've seen a yeah. lot of. Uh, Especially on Instagram, a lot of like yeah. uh, people oh, that like I follow, like meme accounts graphs. and stuff that are fall, yeah. that are like posting like help the people of Cuba, um, yeah. tons of anti-communist memes, things like that, and it's yeah. fascinating to me because okay, so you can make really legitimate arguments against specific communist states that have existed, um, yeah. but if you know even a little bit about world affairs in the last hundred years, Cuba's pretty tough, yeah, to do that with, right? Like because Cuba, as and much as people majority- like. 
Yeah, well, as much as people like to lump yeah. them in with, you know, uh, certain eras of, of the Soviet Union and things like that, um, yeah. for for the vast majority of people in Cuba, I feel like the 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 move towards the socialism, yeah. yeah, it's been, like, pretty successful across the board. And the only people, like, of course there's, like, a, a large and vocal uh, population of Cuban Americans who are yeah. opposed to the government because who do you think the Cubans were that decided to come to America? Yeah, they were the rich white ones. Right. And like, yeah, that it's not the ones who loved the government that went to Florida. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. we have a survey bias there. You're asking the people who were allowed to leave because they didn't like right. it. And and a lot of it is you know right the descendants of people whose like grandparents or parents yeah. were ousted or threatened or jailed or in some yeah. unfortunate cases you know executed um, for oppressing the masses and yeah, yeah for yeah, I, I would for say like it's owning like owning sugar plantations it shouldn't be like a controversial point at this stage yeah. you know in world history to say that the Cuban Revolution was was overwhelmingly successful in terms of raising the the quality of yeah. life for the vast majority of people on that island. And really, Even the only been reason under like a medieval style blockade for sixty years. Yeah. Absolutely, and and why is that? Because they were essentially like uh, an unofficial American colony, and America yeah. doesn't like to give shit up. We just don't yeah. like fucking to fucking Thomas lose. Thomas Jefferson in eighteen twenty talked about getting control of Cuba. In eighteen twenty, like it was like the number one imperial foreign policy goal of the United States, and they have been shitting their pants about it since. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 Everybody looks at it like it's this massive security threat. Like, look at this, look at this communist nation just 30 miles or whatever it is off the coast Sending of Florida. Sending their doctors around the world. Right, and it's like, really, of, of the two of us, who, who do you think needs to be worried? Like, we're the yeah. scariest fucking country on earth because we are a psychotic schoolyard yeah. bully who will absolutely ruin your life for very little reason. Yeah, yeah. And we're supposed Just, to believe that Cuba offshore is a fucking threat? Like, yeah. I mean, okay, dude, that even was assuming like a, that they nuke the shit out of Florida, like, is that really a loss? They like, don't have we, nukes. <laughs> like, no, I know they don't, but I'm saying, yeah. like, assuming they, that the oh, propaganda yeah. narrative is true, right? Assuming that the propaganda narrative is true and they're yeah, this, like, big bad. Is going to cry about Tallahassee? <laughs> right. They're this big bad, like, James Bond villain yeah. fucking country of evil people. Let's assume I mean, that they erase Florida. Are we? I mean, are we? Are we worse off? Dude, I mean, that's like a, that's like the original Red Dawn movie where they have like fucking Honduras and Cuba invading the U.S. That's it's like, so, yeah. What fucking world are we living that in? That being guys? said, on. that being said, all political whatever aside, Red Dawn, not the one with Chris Hemsworth, but the real yeah. Red Dawn. That movie fucking rips. That is such yeah. a fun movie. It's yeah. a piece of shit, but it is such a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, but anyway, you know, so, you know, there's uh, just catching up on a little bit of the news here with uh, Left Unread. <laughs> um, but before we uh, before we, we get into the, the meat, the real business of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cam, I heard your uh, your good friend, um, Jeke Falvio, has, uh, he has a little pitch for us. Do you want to uh, toss the mic to him? Yeah, absolutely. So, Jeke is actually in studio here, and I'm going to call him. Jeke. Jeke. Gee, yeah, no, no, we're ready for you. Okay, all right. I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna let him sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You doing, Jeek Falvio here? Jeek Falvio here. Jeek Falvio's full body chocolate dip. How you doing? 
What's going on, Jake? How you doing? It's today? doing very, doing very good, Ethan. So we talked today. I'm here today to talk to you about Jeek Falvio's full body chocolate dip. I'm the head chocolatier. I'm the owner of Jeek Falvio's full body chocolate dip. I have seven sons. I have no daughters. And so today I'm talking to you about the services we offer. We're, the, we're Massachusetts' leading full body chocolate dip. Uh, a lot of people, they, they come to me and they say to me, they say, Jeek, what is a full body chocolate dip? What is it, Jeek? What do you got, only daughters? Look at me. Seven <laughs> sons, no daughters. Jeek, 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 wait, uh, real quick. What are your sons' names? Jeek Jr., Steven, Mario, <laughs> Flavio, Esperanto, Mickey, and Dawn. So I've got seven sons. People ask me all the time, who's taking over the business? Uh, <laughs> Jeek Jr. So anyway, people ask me all the time about the full body chocolate dip, and I say to them, what do you got? What do you only got, daughters? <laughs> no daughters, seven sons. And I'll tell you what, a full body chocolate dip is, is the absolute pinnacle of human relaxation and it's a beautiful way to enjoy your own body and I'll tell you exactly why that is <laughs> what we do in my in my facility we will lower you bodily we will hoop you under the shoulders and lower you into a vat of molten chocolate we will then pull you out from it do not move you are not allowed to move wouldn't dream of it cheek stand still for 15 to 20 minutes while you are painstakingly hand dried by one to four of my seven sons <laughs> you will then be allowed to move the chocolate will break from your body and this is the fun part folks you can then eat your hardened body chocolate off of our immaculately clean floor now we have multiple packages available at Jeek Falvio's. The basic chocolate dip, of course, is only $120. You will not find a better deal. Have I mentioned to you that I have absolutely no daughters? I am a seven-son man. So as we stated, you'll be dipped bodily into the chocolate. You'll then be allowed to eat your chocolate off the floor. Uh, do you have any questions? Uh, no, you can't uh, take chocolate home. We don't allow <laughs> okay. no take-homes. There's no take-homes. So you have to eat all of the chocolate all from your body? All of the chocolate. How, how's, how's the pit chocolate? You know, you get some in your pits? The, thank you for asking. The price is the same no matter how big you are. So for big boys, for big <laughs> boys... This is a steal at 120 because if you're a real if you're a real big boy and there's a room for a lot of chocolate, you could come in for the same price as a, as a little boy, as a little boy. My son G Jr. is six foot nine, 415 pounds. My son Flavio is five foot two, 87 pounds. Same price. They're the same price. That that sounds like quite the steal, Jeek. I uh, I hope. All of our listeners, run, don't walk, to Jeek, Jeek Falvio's. Run? Don't walk. You have a daughter. <laughs> I can tell. That's a daughter, man. <laughs> no daughters, seven sons. Thank you very much for your time. It's, it's a beautiful show, beautiful show. And I hope Thank that you, you guys much, have, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a wonderful evening. Come down to Jeek Falvio's. Uh, if you mentioned that you heard this on the show, uh, we will personally wash your scrotum for you uh, free of charge. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeek. I hope you and your large adult sons also have a wonderful evening. <clears throat> Thank you.
Yeah, thanks, Chief. No, 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 just... No, just... Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, man. That he has got a very unique uh, affect and odor. That man. Do you think he has any daughters? Uh, it seems clear to me that he doesn't. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the story there. But I thought maybe, that was a gray area. But yeah, okay. maybe, maybe maybe someday we can have him back on and we can ask him about that because he mentions it a lot. Don't you think? His lack of daughters. Yeah, he says that a lot. Yeah, su uh, yeah, suspiciously so. Yeah, it, it almost makes like, me wonder. He seems like he might be a daughter man. It almost makes me wonder, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <clears throat> All right, well, yeah, thanks for letting me le letting me have him on because he's been begging me for yep. some airtime, so. All right. Well, now that now that uh, we've let Jeek do his little pitch, let's, uh, let's, get, let's get right to it. As I said at the top of this episode, uh, today we are going to go back to the early part of the 20th century to get into, as I said before, the primordial soup of, uh, of various Wall Street bankers and business magnates and uh, a lot of these people who were pulling strings in the United States in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, but before we get into who I consider to be one of the real villains in the post-war period. I want to go over a little event uh, called, uh, the, or that we know of today as the business plot. Mm. <clears throat> so the business plot was something that the former uh, Major General of the United States Marine Corps, Smedley Butler, one of my absolute favorite names <laughs> in history. <laughs> uh, Reminds me of Butler. a Snidely Whiplash. Yeah. Do you remember Snidely Whiplash? No. From Wacky Racers. He was the no. guy. He had, like, the tall hat and the mustache and the fucking dog that was like... <laughs> you know what no. I'm talking about? Muttley? No. All right, anyway. No. Anyway, um, so Smedley Butler was a career... Uh, was a career Marine Corps man who rose to Major General. And in the 1930s, he became an activist, uh, especially for veterans' rights, and he would uh, do a lot of speaking. And he wrote a book, which was a transcription of one of his speeches. It was a short book, about 50 pages. And I'm going to read an excerpt for uh, for you fine listeners right can now. I, can I just interrupt you really quickly? I just realized, due to a quick uh, Google search, that Snidely Whiplash was actually from Dudley Do-Right. And oh, uh, the okay. guy that I was talking about was Dick Dastardly, who had, oh, who had Dick Muttley Dastardly, the dog. Oh, Dick Dastardly, yep, yep. From, yeah. Uh, and yeah, anyway, I got, I got the two confused because they're essentially the same <clears throat> character. Anyway, anyway, okay. I apologize. Anyway. Yep. We so, can, we can go saying, back to the show now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can so, go now. You. It's no problem. Okay, well, we, then, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's shut no up. problem. Shut your mouth. <laughs> um, sorry, uh, there's a there's a beetle in here, and I just, I'm sorry. Oh, you're allowed I don't to get to... that. You are allowed to get that, because I'm not 
a heartless buffoon. No, it's just that uh, there's not a beetle in here, Evan. Even, even I if was, there was, I was willing. Even if there was, you could get it, my my friend. Yeah, but you know I wouldn't why? want to. You know why? I wouldn't want because to. I want you to be comfortable. I wouldn't want to. Because I want you to be comfortable. I wouldn't want to. Where were we? Back to it. So back to Smedley Butler. <laughs> Smedley Darlington Butler. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah, Dar dude. Smedley Darlington Butler? Yeah, he's the man. I... <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, so I'm going to read. Uh, so again, he was a major general of the United States Marine Corps for for many years. Okay. And I'm going to read a uh, a specific part of his speech. War is a racket. <clears throat> War is just a racket. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of people. Only a small inside group knows what it is about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few at the expense of the masses. I believe in adequate defense at the coastline and nothing else. If a nation comes over here to fight, then we'll fight. The trouble with America is that when the dollar only earns 6% over here, then it gets restless and goes overseas to get 100%. Then the flag follows the dollar and the soldiers follow the flag. I wouldn't go to war again as I have done to protect some lousy investment of the bankers. There are only two things we should fight for. One is the defense of our homes, and the other is the Bill of Rights. War for any other reason is simply a racket. There isn't a trick in the racketeering bag that the military gang is blind to. It has its fingermen to point out enemies, its muscle men to destroy enemies, it's brain men to plan war preparations, and a big boss super-nationalistic capitalism. It may seem odd for me, a military man, to adopt such a comparison. Truthfulness compels me to. I spent 33 years and 4 months in active military service as member of this country's most agile military force, the Marine Corps. I served in all commissioned ranks from 2nd Lieutenant to Major General. And during that period, I spent most of my time being a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and for the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I suspected I was just part of a racket at the time. Now I am sure of it. Like all the members of the military profession, I never had a thought of my own until I left the service. My mental faculties remained in suspended animation while I obeyed the orders of higher-ups. This is typical with everyone in the military service. I helped make Mexico, especially Tampico, safe for American oil interest in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefits of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1902 to 1912. Where have I heard that name before? I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916. In China, I helped to see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested. During those years, I had, as the boys in the back room would say, a swell racket. Looking back on it, I feel that I could have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents.
so yeah, that was uh, Sm- that is just part of Smedley Butler's book and speech, War is a Racket. Damn. Yeah. So it Smedley's turns out that Smed- Smedley Darlington Butler is, is like uh, ultimate G. Ultimate G, <laughs> but also like not, they named him poorly. <laughs> yeah. This dude, guy's name should Smedley be like is Buzz Killington or something. Like. Dude, Smedley is not short for anything, dude. That's just straight up his first name. Yeah, no, he's... It, yeah. Um, so as I said, the previous was part of a speech that Smedley Butler, former United States Marine Corps Major General, gave to World War I veterans in the 1930s. Butler's infamous War is a Racket speech is one of his lasting legacies, taking up over 50 pages in print form. It begins... War is a racket. It always has been. It is possibly the oldest, easily the most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. So Smedley Darlington Butler was born 30th of July, 1881 in Westchester, Pennsylvania to Quaker parents. I've had some good ass times in Westchester. You know who else is from Westchester? Fucking Boom. Bam Margera. <laughs> dude, yes. Hell yeah, dude. Don Vito. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being a Quaker, that probably explains the weird-ass name. Sure. Uh, he had joined the Marine Corps just before he turned 17, and by the time he died, was then the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. During his illustrious career spanning over three decades, he saw action in the Mexican Revolution, World War One, the Spanish-American War, and the Banana Wars which saw extensive U.S. military involvement in Latin American affairs. As he alludes to in his speech, these were to protect American business interests. Fuck yeah. However, before he began speaking out against the nascent American imperialism of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, old Smedley Butler was allegedly approached by a shadowy group of powerful business magnates and industrialists in an attempt to overthrow the United States government and install a military dictatorship in order to remove President Franklin Delano Roosevelt from power. This event, which is still shrouded in some mystery, would come to be known as the business plot. So, folks, throw on your truth goggles, open your third eye, and let's take a dive headlong into the deep state. Absolutely. And before you guys, like, I know that deep state is a buzzword these days. Uh, Evan and I do believe in QAnon. We also do believe in the Flat Earth. (laughs) We also do believe in the Reptilians. We also do believe in David Icke. (laughs) No, uh, I know Donald Trump is an absolute fucking moron, um, but he was right about a very few small amount of things, one of which is that there is such a thing as the deep state. It's this idea of the state behind the state, like this occulted state. It's the state that's not voted on, but these shadowy figures that can exist behind the state, moving pieces around over over decades, as opposed to you know just being voted in by the people. Right. It's like a it's like a nasty, stinking swamp that just I mean honestly <laughs> okay. that, that yeah, just yeah, needs to on. be drained. Uh, think about uh, like uh, if you're a fan of the X Files, uh, the character Deep Throat, and uh, the the cigarette smoking man. Oh, the smoking man. Yeah. He's my favorite character on that show. What are you doing? What am I doing? Yeah. Masturbating myself to completion. What are you doing? It sounds like you were grabbing some potato chips. No, I have a, a GoPuff bag over here full of fucking strawberry seltzers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I just finished my uh, Soleil cucumber melon, a little cuck melon. Where really, did, where, really good. Soleil is uh, is what? Is that uh? No, no. 
is it? I thought it was a store brand. Is it not? I think it is. I always thought it was Stop and Shop, but I got this at Shaw's. I don't know if they commingle. Shaw's, Star Market, Albertsons are all the same company. Yeah, so. I know that, but I thought Stop and Shop owned Soleil. Maybe it's Shaw's. Um, Maybe, yeah. Anyway, so on to the business plot. In 1933, according to Butler himself, Gerald C. McGuire, a bond salesman, and Bill Doyle, an American Legion commander, approached the retired Smedley Butler to speak at an American Legion convention in Chicago as Butler had made a name for himself and thus become extremely popular with active duty and veteran troops. Speaking out in support of veterans and engaging in activism against the United States government, it was due to his willingness to speak out against the American government and due to his popularity with troops and the people at large that he was approached. <clears throat> the initial appearance was framed as the two asking Butler to point out some problems with the, Legion, the Legion's leadership, which Butler was open to due to his having legitimate issues he wanted to point out to help out veterans. However, over subsequent meetings, Butler became suspicious about the entire deal. At one of these subsequent meetings, McGuire showed Butler bank statements of $100,000 U.S. dollars, which is over $2 million USD today, mm. which McGuire wanted Butler to use to draw supporters to the convention. He also announced to Butler that he was a representative and employee of the Wall Street financier Grayson M.P. Murphy, which that's just like one of those like evil names that mm -hmm. you hear <laughs> like in an old... Uh, old like poverty row flick or something like that i feel like the m stands for murphy and the p just is p so his name is grayson murphy p murphy grayson murphy penis murphy yep. <laughs> pinkus it's pinkus yeah, grayson yeah. murphy pinkus murphy yeah wall street uh, financier yeah yeah um so this number the one hundred thousand, stunned butler is that was way more money than a group of veterans could amass then he looked over the speech um, and, you know, his, uh, his little uh, meter started going off uh, because it ignored Veterans Affairs and instead lambasted President Franklin Delano Roosevelt for moving away from the gold standard. So just for background, this move away from the gold standard by FDR was massively unpopular with officials and bankers in the country in the 30s, now fearful that they would not be able to recoup their gold-backed loans. Hmm. So this, on top of FDR's social policies of subsidies and jobs for the poor, made conservative politicians and businessmen alike fear he was a socialist. Which, of course, FDR's left policies were merely to protect capital against a powerful socialist movement in the country. Uh, you know, he was really social democratic. Right. But in America, that's tantamount to being... I mean, people being... were worried he was a fucking communist, you know? Right. <laughs> like, for this um... country, which unfortunately has always just been, like, hyper-conservative... Yeah, he essentially is the closest we've ever come to having like a like a, a socialist president in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, and he did not like socialists. Either. No, you know, he, no. His, his policies were literally because he was like, "Listen, man, it's if we don't do this, it could be worse." Right. He was like, um, he was like at best like center left in terms of like yeah. modern directional politics, however you like to view yeah. it. Yep. Uh, so Butler, beginning to fear that something far no far more nefarious was going on asked to meet with McGuire's superior, who ended up being Robert Sterling Clark, the heir to the singer-sewing fortune. Wait a second. Yeah. Someone now is an heir to the singer-sewing fortune. Maybe. 
Is it a? Is it a? Oh no 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 no. Uh, is it Tucker Carlson who's an heir to Swanson? Is that what he's an uh, heir to? I don't know. Is he? That's so funny. He's like a, I think he, I think Tucker Carlson uh, is a Swanson heir. Yeah, he's a Swanson man. Yeah, which is like <laughs> frozen foods. I'm sorry. So yeah, I was yeah. thinking singer. Um, yeah. I can't imagine that the Singer family is still like on top of the world. Their sewing machines are still the best, but uh, sorry, I got distracted. Tucker, Car- Tucker right. Carlson, Swanson, Frozen Foods. Yeah, Tucker Carlson, we're leaving you on red. <laughs> you are put on notice and left yeah. on red, brother. <laughs> this Sunday so, at SummerSlam. Anyway, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, Clark was completely honest with Butler and said his primary interest was preserving the gold standard. And he would spend half of his $30 million fortune to save the other half. So at this point, Butler plainly refused the offer and he parted ways with the group. McGuire, however, would begin traveling through Europe using funds from Clark and he would stay in touch with Butler. Upon his return, he opened up to Butler. The money put together for the convention came from a group of powerful business magnates, bankers, and scions of conservative American families who helped fund McGuire's trip through Europe to do reconnaissance on how veterans operated within foreign governments. And they believed FDR would send America into ruin, and they needed to install a military state run by the veterans of America with Roosevelt as a figurehead rather than the actual president. Of particular interest... Wow, what a surprise, was the Nazi regime in Germany. Nice. The fascist regime in Italy. Nice. And the French right-wing Nationalist League, the Croix de Feu, or Cross of Fire. Ooh, that's a fun image. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should look it up. Dude, it is very, I don't know about fascist. the Croix de Feu. Yeah, it looks exactly how you think it would. Um, so Butler uh, was to lead the veterans amounting to 500,000 men under the financial backing of this shadowy cabal of capital to march on Washington and depose Roosevelt from power. Butler, at this point, understood now that there was a nascent fascist coup in development to take over America, and he enlisted help to corroborate his story. He reached out to a friend and writer, Paul Comley French, who met with McGuire and was told by him that a fascist state was the only answer for America, with Smedley Butler being the ideal leader. Uh, and McGuire said, and I quote, We need a fascist government in this country to save the nation from the communists who want to tear it down and wreck all that we have built in America. So, Sounds I mean, about right, just, dude. Yeah, he just laid it right the fuck out. Absolutely. I, and you know <laughs> like, what? He kudos to this guy for at least they, just coming out and saying, like, yeah, we need to be fascist. Yeah, no, the we're problem fascists. with we most fascists is that they won't admit that they're fascists. Yeah, I, I have a uh, begrudging level of respect for fascists who admit that they're yeah. fascists. Now, are they yeah. still fucking pigs who deserve nothing but disdain? Yeah, just Absolutely. hogs. Yeah, but, but at, at least, least they, they at least know they're they hogs. They want the trough. Yeah. you know, <laughs> right? At least they admit that they're filthy shit sucking pigs. Yeah, just fucking oinking hogs rolling. in Because the mud. this country is full of fucking fascists who. At best, won't admit we it. Talk at about worst, freedoms. Right. At best, don't admit it. And at worst, don't even realize that they're fascists. Yeah. And they are so rock solid at the idea of the boot to their throat that they're just like slobbering and foaming at the mouth to lick yeah, it. Just, yeah, just rolling on the ground, writhing and oinking. Absolutely. And yeah. so, uh, so again, begrudgingly, I at least re- have a, <laughs> I a small modicum. This dude in the first conversation yeah. with a new person was like, Oh, yeah, we want to install fascism. We need to be fascist. At least yeah. he's up front about it. So we yeah. know who to fucking throw in gulag. Yeah. 
Yeah, straight to gulag. Straight, straight to, gulag. to gulag for Believe you. Believe it or not, straight to gulag. Uh, believe it or not, you are fascist. Straight to gulag. Straight to gulag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Butler, with the corroborating testimony of French, appeared before a congressional committee. The uh, and this is something we'll hear about a lot coming uh, going forward. Oh. The House Un-American Activities Committee, oh, or H U A C, or as I usually say in my head, whack. Uh, say it, it is slow a cudgel... for me. What? I was just joking. I'm saying, oh, say uh, it slow. Whack. <laughs> whack. <laughs> whack. Um, uh, now, this would uh, later on be a cudgel that would be used uh, against the anti or uh, for the anti-communist crusades after World War II. However, uh, Butler was quickly uh, disregarded, uh, with the American media immediately ramping up immediately to denounce the plot and make it seem absurd. The New York Times, which I'm sorry if there's any fascists out there, it's going to be the perverts that uh, own the New York Times. Uh, but they called it a gigantic hoax without merit. And uh, banker Grayson M.P. Murphy called it a damned lie. A damned lie. Yeah. He probably said it like that. It's a damned lie. It's a damned lie. Um, so the American Liberty League was formed from, I guess these people love say, talking about liberty, uh, was formed from leaders and captains of industry opposed to FDR, and they released a statement against the hearing. Uh, so this is from an article I read. Among its members were the DuPonts, S.B. Colgate, Sewell Avery, John Raskob, Alfred P. Sloan, and former Secretary of State Elio Root. I feel like I know, uh... Elihu Root. Yeah, I know the name too. What, I can't. What, what do we know him from? Can I look oh, it up? Really Secretary quickly? of State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was Secretary of State. But yes, I, I, I saw the. I thought the same thing when I read that um, last night too. I, I think that uh, I'm actually having him confused with. Uh, so first of all, he looks a lot. What's the guy's name who played the Hobbit? And he plays Watson in uh, Sherlock oh, Holmes. Um, I'm sorry. Wow, yeah. I can't think of his name. Uh, Shit, I can't, well, I can't think of his name. I know, He's I, in The Office, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. He looks like, it literally looks like Martin Freeman with a false mustache on. Check this shit out. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Oh, my God. Oh yeah, my it, God. it's freaky. <laughs> he looks just like him. Okay, but that's not who exactly I was thinking like of. I was thinking of uh, Elihu Yale, who is the guy right. after whom Yale is named. Jesus I was just like, Christ, I, I know he that looks I know exactly like Martin Freeman. He looks like just like right? fucking Martin Freeman. Weird, huh? Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, so anyway... um. Butler I feel like also, you have to use him in the uh, in the image. You gotta put. No, I'm using I'm using Alan Dulles. No, but um, I'm saying like, can you can you tuck him into the corner or something? Maybe yeah yeah. I always put little corner boys in but, there. Can... But like with a ring on. Okay. And okay. Uh, for you, and, and he... for you, I will do that. <laughs> and, for um, you, and, it, and, and and then he's saying like, what what has it got in its pockets? For you, I will do that. And then um, and then. <laughs> okay, shut up. Jesus Christ. Uh, so in the background. also shut the fuck up. Uh, so Butler also noticed on the list of uh, Robert Sterling Clark's name, as well as Grayson Murphy Penis Murphy, uh, who is Gerald McGuire's <laughs> boss. <laughs> um, now, and this is uh, this is the part I really like. Notably implicated. Guess who? The first time we're mentioning him on the show, but it won't be the last. Oh. Fucking Prescott Bush. Fuck yeah. Banker, Nazi collaborator, and father to George H.W. Bush, old poppy himself, and grandfather to George W. Bush. And we will hear a lot more about the Bush family in coming episodes. You know, I've met a Bush. Yeah? Yeah, uh... 
Were they one of the bushes? Yeah, no, the bushes. I uh, worked at a restaurant. Yeah. And this is probably giving too much away about where I am and where I've worked. So we're going to actually... Yeah, we, I'll tell you okay. after the show, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I've um, met a bush. So this event uh, became known as the White House Coup and the Wall Street Putsch. Uh, and after the media, largely made up of people involved with the plotters and generally having a pro-fascist tint regardless, tried to decry it, the committee went through to completion and was able to corroborate all of Butler's claims as factual. Mm -hmm. Every single one. Hell yeah. The official finding was that this coup was being planned. They were just uh, they were just unable to determine how far along it ever came to happening, and if Butler's whistleblowing was actually the thing that stopped the fascist takeover of the American government. And oh yeah, guess what? No one was punished or prosecuted despite what? these findings. That's like the most American shit I've ever heard in my yeah. life. Yeah, well, I'm sure half the Congress people are friends with these perverts. Absolutely. Um, Nothing's changed. So Butler would, soon after this affair, become a staunch opponent of capitalism, and he would release his book, War is a Racket. I gotta read this book. Yeah. This guy sounds like a fucking straight shooter. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. Now let's move forward a few years to World War II. That's a, that's a, yeah, it's a spicy jump. That is a, that is a zesty leap we're making. Let's do it. after the business plot was unraveled, the United States would be plunged into World War II, although for some of the plotters, the United States entered on the wrong side of the war. <laughs> That's how fucking funny that is. Like, it was literally... People talk about, like, oh, America entered when it was beneficial, this and that. It's like, man, you guys don't understand. There was a debate about which side we should be yeah. on. Like, and a lot of people... A lot if, of people. If, maybe if anybody else was president... A <laughs> lot of people we wouldn't have entered, and maybe we would have sided with the Nazis. Dude, you know who was a Nazi? Walt Disney. Everyone yeah. was a Nazi. Oh, let's go through some of them right now, shall we? You got a uh, you got a list? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Prescott Bush, scion of the old original American Bush family, future mm. U.S. senator, mm. and father and grandfather to future presidents, was a Nazi collaborator. Fuck yeah, brother. He was the director and shareholder of companies that profited off of the Nazi regime, helping finance the government. Preach, His brother. Yeah, what? 
Preach. Tell me about yeah. these motherfucking it, Nazis. Oh, do you want to hear about his company's assets? Because that shit I was do. seized in 1942 under the <laughs> Trading with the Enemy Act. As even after America entered the war, Bush's companies kept up their dealing with the Nazis, namely mm. the firm Brown Brothers Harriman. <gasps> Recall the beginning of the episode in Smedley Brown Butler's Brothers. speech. Brown Brothers. Where have I heard that name before? And guess what company would become a CIA front? Brown Brothers Harriman. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Uh, let's see. So Brown Brothers Harriman was the U.S. base for Fritz Thyssen, an early financier of Hitler. We will hear much more about BBH in the future. But how much will we hear about BBC? Bush even had links to the Consolidated Silesian Steel Company that made use of slave labor in Auschwitz and Jesus other concentration camps. As is apparent in the business plot's details, all of the businessmen were staunch anti-communists, and many of them openly or behind closed doors believed the Soviet Union was the enemy the United States should be fighting, not Nazi Germany. Hey folks, have you ever driven in a Ford? Because guess what? Henry Ford himself infamously promoted anti-Semitic conspiracies such as the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Man, we are going to do an episode on the Protocols of the Elders yes, of Zion because it's, it's, it is such a fascinating topic. So yeah. just <laughs> prepare yourself because yeah. it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. folks. Henry Ford is probably one of the most famous anti-Semites in history. He even released a book called The International Jew. Uh, <laughs> He, oh, he also believed Jews were responsible for World War One, and he did not want the U.S. to enter World War Two. The Ford Company worked closely with Nazi Germany, with their German branch utilizing slave labor from the Nazi prison and concentration camps. He was another Auschwitz boy. I fucking love that. I fucking love how many of these guys straight up just used... Auschwitz they were fucking, fucking slavery. And they were financing the Nazis. And they're all just like, wait, why Dude. are we going to war with them? Uh, so, and You know course, what? There is, there is a tie-in here with our last episode where we talked about the anti-Semitism that was already yep. prevalent in industrial yep. age London with yep. our boy Saucy Jack. This yep. shit is so... It runs so deep, this fucking insistence that Jewish people deserve to be victimized. Runs yeah. so fucking deep in Western society. And they all fucking thought it. They all oh, did. Like, all is, of these industrialists, these magnates, these wasps, they all fucking hated them. God fucking And damn of course... It. Famous pilot Charles Lindbergh had visited oh, wow. Nazi Germany to survey the Air Force and had left impressed not just with Nazi aviation, but hell, with the Nazis themselves. They, also they inspired a... him to fucking murder his own kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that deserves its own episode, too. Oh, God. Holy shit. He, he also was against the United States getting involved in World War II and, rather, wanted to urge Hitler East to fight communism. He urged the West not to get involved in Hitler's wars because it would open the door to the spread of Soviet communism. God damn, man. Charles yeah. Lindbergh, you stupid son of a bitch. Yeah, fucking piece of shit. Shouldn't have killed your own kid. Yeah. That's an episode, um, too. I mean, I know yeah. that kind of verges on true crime, and we've talked about how we don't want to do That's true right. crime. But I, I mean, th there's Charles gonna be Lindbergh some, is an episode. There, there will be some that I do, uh, uh, you know, kind of true crime adjacent ones. There you um, go. Because, guess what, if it has to do with, because a lot of it, it has to do with CIA spooks. <laughs> and the Nazis. And, guys, yeah. I don't know if we've and made it. And guess what, they're the same fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know if we've made it abundantly clear 
yeah. on this show yet. I don't know if we've come right out and said it, but ultimately, if if Evan and I had to direct our our ire, our distaste towards one particular group, I'd say it would be fascists and Nazis. <laughs> yeah, we're both not fans. Yeah, we don't always and agree. And you know, you know, maybe I should have said this at the start of the episode. I think I was going to say it towards the end. But really, this episode, there's a reason I did the prelude with Peru and Bolivia. And it's because with this, like, the thing is, uh, if there's any goal, and obviously I'm going to do some silly episodes that don't really have anything to do with this. But what I'm really trying to show is how there are people on this earth who deliberately created the world to be how it is today. And these aren't ancient history. These fuckers are still doing it. Yeah. Fucking Prescott Bush, him being a Nazi trying to overthrow the government in the 30s, is directly related to his fucking grandson invading Iraq in uh, 70 years later. These are all interconnected events that can all be tied back to what happened here in these few decades. You know, this is 100%. It is really the story of of the the 20th century. It is all of this, all of these people, they built the world that we live in still. And here's the thing. You don't have to believe in satanist cults or in worshipping Moloch or in lizard men under New York. Yeah. Right? The deep state exists, and there are conspiracies worth investing your time in. Yeah. People want it to be this Hollywood space alien Independence Day shit, when in reality it's, it's just a bunch of fucking Nazis who have been around since forever. Who hate everybody who's not in their in-group, who's right. not in their clique. It is they a hate... clicky yeah. group of rich white dudes who just want everyone else to fucking suffer. And they... And they want everything, and they want you to have fucking nothing. You get fucking nothing but mm -hmm. what we tell you. That's what this is. And you know why they love this QAnon shit? Because it distracts you from the reality, which is yeah. way more mundane and way more demented and scary. Yeah. Yeah. That they, you know. They don't need chemtrails. They don't need to put a, a computer chip in your arm. Right? They already monitor everything you They've do with your it. fucking They've phone. Got you. If you have a smart you. device, if you have a smart TV, if you have a fucking Alexa, or, or or whatever these stupid things that these companies use to spy on you, any smart device, it's listening to you at all fucking times. Yeah, absolutely. They, they know everything. And Jeff Bezos <laughs> is going up to space with that fucking shit. And he's taking it up to space, and he's handing it off to the lizard people. And they're, <laughs> but, and they're taking okay. it, and they're using it to... Be, anyway... I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway. I just oh, gone, I've <laughs> so, gone for I've gone full circle. Yeah. So anyway, now uh, having entered the war on the side of the Allies, much to the chagrin of these perverts, uh, the United States enlisted the help of the British intelligence services MI5 and MI6 in order to develop the Office of Strategic Services or OSS, uh, which was the wartime precursor to the CIA. And I'm being very I'm kind of quickly going through that. Really, there was one other precursor to the OSS, and really it was a lot more like the British, um, they kind of enlisted the U.S. to build their own intelligence apparatus. It was, it was really the Brits pulling the strings at first, but we'll move past that. That's a different story for a different time. Uh, so the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, is created. It's the wartime precursor to the CIA. Now, it was William Stevenson, a British intelligence officer, that convinced FDR to have the office built, and FDR chose uh, the Irish Catholic man William Donovan 
uh, whose family was originally called the O'Donovans, but they changed their name in order to try to fit in better with the WASP culture. Uh, so the bulk of the intelligence was developed by the UK until sometime after Pearl Harbor. And for both the OSS and its successor, the CIA, the bulk of the ranks were filled in using the American aristocracy. These are old money WASP families, for those who don't know, that's white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Like uh, yours truly. Yeah, yeah, I'm a good Catholic boy, but uh, they were trained in the Ivy Leagues, and all of them were well acquainted with each other. I mean, like all of the people who were originally pulled in were these business magnates. They were the, they were the Wall Street bankers. They were the lawyers who represented the bankers. They were their old classmates at uh, Yale and Harvard and all these schools. And as a matter of fact, at the time, the OSS was even referred to as the Oso Social Club. <laughs> oh my God. So once the CIA itself was formed, unrepentant Nazi war criminals would be added to its ranks along with all these people. And again, at the time, it would lead, uh, lead to the CIA originally being referred to as the, the American Gestapo. That fucking rocks. Yeah. And so in 1942, we will introduce you to the main villain of this entire series, Alan Welsh Dulles. Wall Street lawyer who had previously worked as an American diplomat, and he was recruited by William Donovan to join the fledgling service which he served in throughout the war. And I will get much, much more into Alan Dulles, the devil, the absolute fucking <laughs> Satan of the American century, just one of the most evil pieces of shit to ever live. And many more episodes, I'll get into his background, but what you need to know is that he was a Wall Street banker, or a Wall Street lawyer who represented the bankers, and he had worked as a diplomat. So Alan Dulles would be stationed in Bern, Switzerland, the site of secret German and American negotiations to have German forces in Northern Italy uh, secretly surrender only to the United States, allowing them to retreat north and fight the approaching Red Army. So the lead negotiators in this case were Alan Dulles and the Nazi butcher and war criminal Karl Wolf, Obergruppenführer and general of the Waffen-SS, and former chief adjutant to Heinrich Himmler, and himself, that's Karl Wolf, having ordered the deaths of over a quarter million Jews. Apparently, and unbeknownst to FDR, Dulles was collaborating with Wolf in the surrender and ceasefire that would help shield Wolf from prosecution after the war if he aided in this betrayal of the Soviet Union during their approach to Berlin. These secret talks, however, could not get out in fear of provoking Stalin before the Cold War fully got underway. Dulles was trying to carefully line his chessboard. Specifically, this discussion was outlined outlawed by the Casablanca Agreement, signed by FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, wherein the only surrender that would be sought by the Allies was unconditional. These secret talks between Dulles and Wolf undermined the White House in order to screw over the Soviet Union. So what you need to know is that Alan Dulles and his brother, John Foster Dulles, they were really the masterminds of what would happen right after World War II. Evil. At, yeah, even I mean, these are just like manipulative, evil, just absolute like these dudes are fucking satan incarnate yeah and uh it would be under so alan dulles would be the first civilian director of central intelligence and john foster dulles would become secretary of state under uh under eisenhower and the two of them like scared eisenhower shitless like he clearly like he was always afraid to cross these two brothers who were lockstep 
and uh, pushing America into the situation that it would find itself in after the war. This, you know, state of aggression against the rest of the world, especially the uh, the Soviet Union. And if you guys have heard of the Koch brothers, they're like the Koch brothers <laughs> on fucking steroids. Exactly. So, of course... Dulles at this time was keenly aware of the crimes of the Third Reich, as he was tasked in 1942 initially with collecting information on the Nazi regime from Jewish refugees in Europe. He knew about everything that was going on, and he chose to work with these people. In Bern, Switzerland, Dulles was responsible for contacting and working with Nazi resistance groups within the Reich. His task was not in rescuing the Jewish population, but rather ending military hostilities, and this was the goal he fought for. And for his part in helping end hostilities with America and Northern Italy, Dulles protected Wolf from Nuremberg prosecution, and he would parlay his career here into eventually becoming the director of central intelligence. And of course, Karl Wolf was Himmler's adjutant who traveled with Himmler on official business, including to Minsk in 1941 to witness mass shootings, and by 1945 he was the second highest ranking member of the SS. So by 1945, Nazi Germany's defeat was imminent, and so this was where the Soviet-American alliance began to fester in the womb, leading to the unholy birth of the Cold War. The question was not when Germany would lose, but rather would the Western Allies or the Soviet Union have primacy over post-war Europe. If Wolf faced trial at Nuremberg, his secret dealings with an American officer in violation of Allied treaties would damage the partition of Europe. After the war, as the Western Allies were preparing for a new potential war with the Soviet Union, as the Red Army was marching through Eastern Europe and liberating the continent on the way to Berlin. It also appears as though Dulles was not just concerned about American interests, but that his anti-communist stance had to do with protecting his clients in Italy, who he still represented and had dealings with, clients from his private civilian job as an attorney for financial capital. Dulles also aided the, another Nazi butcher, Reinhard Galen, Wehrmacht spy, on evading prosecution through his rounds of questioning. He advised him on how to, how to make it through the questioning. After the war, in order to utilize his anti-communist and anti-Soviet intelligence. The lines in the sand of the Cold War were already being drawn, and even before the end of World War II, these same business interests that attempted a decade earlier to install a fascist government in America were now already betraying their communist allies and bringing in the Nazi butchers they once fought to help prepare them for the next war that was already being planned. It was the Americans who brought in Reinhard Galen, who brought in Karl Wolf, who brought in Klaus Barbie, you know? The seeds of fascism in America were planted even before the Great Depression, back during those first imperialist wars in Cuba, the Philippines, Mexico, and across the American continents, as American business partners working in concert with the American government began to outline how best to make sure they stayed in power at the top of the country and how they could dominate the world for their profits. After the end of the war, Harry S. Truman would create the CIA, and Alan Dulles, the man who helped start the partitioning of Europe and who helped shield Nazi butchers from, from Nuremberg trial prosecution, would be tapped to be the first civilian director of Central Intelligence, and he would stop at nothing to prosecute the Cold War. 
We will examine in future episodes the terror he unleashed in order to accomplish his goals, up to and including sending bits of brain and skull flying out of a future U.S. president's head, all to maintain this posture of endless war for global domination. Brutal. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> I love this shit. I am so fucking hooked. I think this is one of my yeah. favorite episodes we've ever done. I have it's never mine, been, yeah. I have <laughs> never been so absolutely on board with uh i guess this is going to be a series but it's not like a like a traditional series like we've done so far where it's like it's more like a to b narrative it's just sort of bouncing around but man this is great i love this because you know what people need to understand this country is full of nazis yeah and if you you ain't against them you is one yeah and we're going to get into a lot of crazy shit. The shit that you're not supposed to know about. Absolutely. Things like Operation Gladio, the years of lead in Italy, uh, the, the unholy alliance between the Vatican, uh, the the mafia in Italy, and the uh, the American state there. And, you know, the, the secret stay-behind armies that committed, you know, false flag terrorism. We'll be getting into JFK, and I'm sure there's going to be many episodes on that. Absolutely. We'll be getting into Iran in the 50s and the uh, the cooing of the Mosaic government. We'll be getting into Guatemala, the installment of the Banana Republics. We'll be getting into a lot of crazy shit, folks. A lot of shit. And, you know, I'm going to continue to do things that are, like, kind of callbacks, <laughs> but linked to this stuff. So, you know what my... Do, have I told you already what my next week's episode is going to be on? No. The Opium Wars. Okay. Right? It's like yeah. first war on drugs, except in reverse. Yeah. Where yeah, I mean, the, the U.S. and the U.K. <laughs> were just like, no, They're we're, the biggest drug we're selling you drugs. Yeah. The, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> so I figure that that seems sort of like the dynamic. Like, I'll do the yeah. old stuff, you'll do the new stuff, and we'll, we'll just fucking keep it rolling. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing, too, is um, it, it's tough, like, researching this because, you know, a lot of the times, the information you're getting is, you know, th- like what what we're saying are not conspiracies. These are, by and large, a lot of this shit is admitted to by the government, and right. if it's not directly admitted to, there are scho- like a, like a lot of my sources in this are straight scholarly articles and journals right. about it. It's and it's these uh, um, very well respected journalists doing it, and if we're allowed to know it, there's that's is by definition an op. If the government, if the CIA is telling you something, it did. That is itself a psychological operation. That's a psyop. They want you to know. And so you constantly have to be aware of these limited hangouts. Like one of the biggest ones in history that we'll get into is the Pentagon Papers. The guy who released the Pentagon Papers was a CIA asset. Right. And so they're telling you about certain things about Vietnam. Why are they telling you these awful things that they did? It's because they don't want you looking into other things. Right. And so you constantly have to be on the lookout for these limited hangouts and these psyops against, you know, learning about any of this. So it's very interesting. It's uh, constantly a game. It's a wormhole that, uh, uh, or rather, you know, a rabbit hole that you go down and uh, (laughs) there's some crazy shit. (laughs) Oh, it gets nasty. And it's going to get nastier. Yeah. And then eventually I think where we're going to meet in the middle uh, we've talked about doing, uh, I don't know how long it's going to be, but we've talked about collaborating on the Vietnam War. Yeah. Yeah, we will eventually because get there. Because both of there's... us want to do that. But there's so much to yeah. do in between now and then. Yeah. Um, I'm, and, you know, the Vietnam War really starts in the 50s when the Americans take it over from the French. Right. Um, so what I'm kind of planning on doing, because you've got this overarching, like, uh, uh, 
I don't I don't even know how to encapsulate what you're working <laughs> yeah. on, but I think that I'm going to try to do supplemental stuff. So, like I said, the Opium War, right? Um, yeah. I even think Jack the Ripper is a really cool tie-in because it talks about like the degradation of society. Yeah, the material conditions. Yeah, right. Yeah. Immediately following industrial revolution, and uh, so I'm going to try to kind of back up, you know, what Evan's talking about with like throwback stuff to kind of build some foundation on that. So I yeah. think Opium War is the next logical step. Um, and then we're just going to kind of slowly dismantle the imperialist legacy yeah. of not only the United States, but sort of the Western world in yeah. general. And yeah. hopefully we'll state, get there. You're on the hot seat. You're in the truth seat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, this is a, a, I won't say a no spin zone because frankly, we've got spin, but yeah. I think that our spin is meat a righteous, spin. it's a meat spin and it's a righteous <laughs> spin. Yeah. All right. So anyway, folks, thank you for tuning in yeah. uh, this week. Uh, we'll come back at you next week. Uh, as always, uh, please, on your app of choice, uh, rate and review us. We really enjoy that. Uh, I noticed that we got another five-star review on Apple. Thank you. Even though Apple Podcasts somehow became even worse and <laughs> the newest update. Yeah, it, is it, ha like, it has not improved. I, 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 it, I can't believe they made it even worse. I don't know how that was possible. Um, they did it. What? They did it. Yeah, yeah, they did it. Um, so anyway, thanks for that. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Again, we're left on red. My name's Evan. My co-host is Cameron. And, um, you know, I guess we'll see you next time. Yeah. Keep that third eye open, folks. And uh, it's like Jake Falvio always says, <laughs> I have seven sons and no daughters. Not a fucking daughter. Not a sight. single fucking daughter. Yeah. So... Alright, thanks everybody. Have a good night. <laughs> Alright, peace.